Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're in good spirits on this uh, mother, Mothering Sunday. And also, I, I just feel that before, you know, we, we press forward, we, we can't all not been impacted by the events that uh, happened last week, particularly at Westminster. Uh, I say that because some of the staff, well, all the staff, uh, at Christmas, we were actually in Westminster Palace and uh, we went into Port Collis House. So, we, we know that area quite well, and I think it's very important that uh, we pray for all the people that are impacted by that, you know, the 40 people that were hurt, the people obviously that lost their lives. I think we should pray, as Paul said, Paul said that we should pray for all those who are in authority over us, that we might have a, a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and sincerity. So it would be good for us now, I'm just gonna pray for our, for our minister, prime ministers, our ministers, and those who are all involved, that God would protect our nation and the church would really rise up at this time and be seen as an effective voice, particularly in the midst of the difficulties and trials that we experienced last week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the freedom in this nation to meet and to pray and to worship together. And we want to just lift up before you those who lost their lives and the impacts of the fam on their families last week, particularly, Lord, on the impact on their families. And Lord, for those who were wounded and hurt, we ask your God that you would comfort them. We thank you for our government, for the Prime Minister, for all those members of Parliament who seek to do good, that your hand of protection will be upon them. We thank you for our parliamentary democracy. We thank you that it has given us freedom of speech and freedom to worship. And we ask you for the security forces, for the police, and for all those involved, that Lord, your hand will be upon them, that Lord, you would protect us as a nation, that Lord, the prayers that go on within the Houses of Parliament, those who know you and love you within the Houses of Parliament, your hand will be upon them, and we ask you, Lord, again, for those families that have been impacted by this incident, that you would comfort them, that you would bring into their orbit men and women who love Jesus so they can receive comfort and grace and mercy for their time of need. Thank you, Lord, once again that we have this freedom. And may we make your name known as a church and as a people for such a time as this. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I had the privilege of being up here once again. Then I get a little break. Uh, most of the team are away at the leaders' weekend, and I kind of pulled a short straw to come back. But it wasn't such a short straw. I'm, it's a pleasure to come back. They're having a great time there, and um, the couple there, I think it was, let me see, Steve and Lynn, they're doing a great job. Now, this morning, I thought, well, what am I going to bring this morning? We just finished the marriage series. And something that's been on my heart, and Chris and I were talking about this, talking about it in terms of us as a church coming of age. And we were saying that coming of age is generally when you're 21 and you get the key to the door. But coming of age means that we have to start to behave with the maturity in terms of the things that we do and how we behave. Now, one of the things I want to deal with this morning is how we deal with conflict or dealing with conflict. As we come of age as the people of God, 
one of the areas that tests our spirituality or our spiritual maturity is dealing with conflict. Disagreement is something we all have to face at some time within our lives. Those of us who are married, we know this regularly. Not too regularly, I hope. But you, after the, 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 the passion and the excitement of the marriage, then you find that you disagree. And generally speaking, most of us haven't had it modeled well. I'm not saying that your parents threw pants at each other, but you either have lots of noise and shouting or silence. Boom, boom, each person goes to their room. They are not talking. They are walking, no eye contact. Where do we get that from? Well, we pick it up from our parents. Well, Paul, the writer who wrote at least 12 books of the New Testament, said in Ephesians 4, 29 to 32, he said this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, what we call edification, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I just have to stop there because I always remember preachers saying that how he had an argument with his wife before he had to preach. It was R.T. Kendall. And he saw a dove outside the window and it just flew away. And he couldn't get the text all day until he apologized to his wife and within 40 minutes he had the text. It's like the Holy Spirit was grieved and he saw the dove and it was a picture. So, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God, in Christ, God forgave you. Paul wrote this anticipating that as a community of God's people, we would fall out with one another. He anticipated it. If we're going to grow up and come of age, we must learn how to deal with our conflicts and disagreements in a way that's honoring to God and to each other. You know, Jesus said this, John 10, 10. You know the verse. The thief comes, what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and a life to the full. See, friends, nothing kills and destroys our relationships with each other more than unresolved conflicts. You see, Jesus came to give us life. And it's in the air of our relational life that the enemy seeks to attack us. You see, Jesus could say this. He said, the enemy has nothing in me. And what he meant by that is that there's no landing strip for the enemy to come and attack me. Friends, when we have unresolved conflicts, what you have is a landing strip for the enemy to come and attack you. When we have unresolved conflicts in the church, it's an opportunity for the enemy to come and attack the church. It's like leaving raw meat. If you leave raw meat out, what's going to happen? The flies will come. Paul said, we should not be foolish, foolish, but understand 
how to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And what it's saying here is just like love is a decision, being kind and compassionate is actually a decision. Now, here's, hear this. Our emotional maturity will determine how we handle conflicts. Our emotional maturity will determine how we handle conflicts. Today we're going to consider how we can deal with our conflicts as emotionally healthy sons and daughters who've come of age. We will consider three things. Where are we now? What do we need to do? And how to stay in relationship. So, let's look at where are we now? Now, I mentioned to you Peter Schizero's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Get that book. Now, our bookstore, they just have two. If you haven't got it, just order it. You need to get hold of this book. He talks about four stages of emotional maturity. Emotional infants, emotional children, emotional adolescents, and emotional adults. Now, what I'd like you to do is I'm going to talk through each one of these very quickly. And what I want you to do is just allow God to just touch your heart and see where you are. Are you an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? So here we go. He defines emotional infants as those who look for others to take care of them, have great difficulty entering into the world of others, are driven by the need for instant gratification, use others as objects to meet their needs. So that's the infant. Now let's look at the children. They are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They're easily hurt. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their own way. They have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. They don't want to play. I'm not speaking to you. Now, let's look at the adolescents. Now, like I said, you can get the book and then you can spend more time and meditate and, 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 and meditate in it, not marinating it, but <laughs> soaking it, you know. Yeah, but you may not want to soak it because this is, you know, as I was reading it, I'm like, ooh, 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 this is uncomfortable. Okay. The adolescents, they tend to, tend to often be defensive, are threatened and alarmed by any criticism. They keep score of what they give so they can ask for something in return. They deal with conflict poorly, often blaming others, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting or ignoring the issues entirely or just hiding. Becoming preoccupied with themselves, posh word is narcissistic. Have great difficulty truly listening to other Person's, a person's pain, disappointment, or needs. They are critical and judgmental. So let's look at the adults, which is where we all want to be. They are able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly 
directly and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. When under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. I, I want to fight with you. Respect others without having to change them. You know, that takes a great deal of security because you have to have the ability, this is you here, you have to have the ability to step the other side and see it from their perspective. That's very difficult. It takes a lot of internal security to do that because, you, because you're so sure that you're right. They give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they get and not for what they can get back. They accurately assess their own limits, strengths, weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. They are deeply in tune with their own feelings, own emotional world, and are able to enter into the feeling, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. And finally, they have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. Wouldn't be nice to be that we're all there, but I know I have work to do. I don't know about you, you know, I know I have work to do. So where are we, you know, where are we now? You know, we've gone through that. Everybody's quiet because it's like, ooh, this is, ooh, this is a bit, ooh. Do we find that some of the statements resonate with us? So, Let's consider what we should do if they do. Well, what do we need to do? Let's go to Ephesians 4, 30 to 31. And it says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here it is, get rid. That's the word he uses, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Paul exhorts us to get rid of the stuff that stops us having the unity and complementarity and the concord, which is the opposite of discord, that we need in our relationships. Now, last week I mentioned what Peter Schizero calls emotional allergies. See, one of the things I realized is this, in my own relationship, my ability to, to deal with conflict was very much dependent on the emotional allergies that I came up against. You see, an emotional allergy, according to uh, Peter Schizero, is an intense reaction to something in the past that reminds us consciously or unconsciously of events from our history. <laughs> Example, you know, wife asks, the husband to look after the children while she's trying to operate in the kitchen. When she looks at the kitchen, she finds he's reading the paper. And immediately in her mind, it reminds her of her father who was never around. So that means her, father, her husband's gonna get it. What is wrong with you? You mean, you can't, you look after the children, I'm here trying to do this and run the whole house and you're there reading the paper, what's wrong with you? Now, <laughs> The issue is, actually, he's just reading the paper because he's tired, right? But she's seen something else. 
And sometimes you will find that you overreact to things. So something is said to you, right? And it has such a deep echo in you that the conflict starts. But actually, all it means is that you've just touched on something that the other person didn't realize, which takes the conflict from a five to a 10. And all depending how you do conflict. You see, some of us, we're rah, 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 right? And some of us, hmm. We go to our room, we don't talk. We walk past each other. We get in the bed, you stay on your side, I stay on my side, don't touch me. <laughs> For those of you who are not married, you, you get the drift. Or at church, you know, you're out, you fall out with someone and, and everybody knows them two don't get on. See, but everybody just skirts around it. Oh, they don't get on. You know, you, you come past each other, you go to hug and you move. I always remember when my mum and dad used to fall out at church and they used to have the giving of the peace. I said, should we share the peace? And my mum and dad would go in opposite directions because they'd had a massive row in the car because, why can't you come in the church to come, on, come to church on time? You know, and there would be words in the car. We used to have World War III when we were bringing our kids to, to church. I remember one morning, uh, Rachel, I hate you, to Eileen. Eileen, oh, could you say that to me? We're in the car park at Marlborough, and, you know, it's just, I'm like, how can I come to the house of God with this noise? Now, it was really funny because Tara, that's Richard's wife, she's quite prophetic, and I'm there just before the Lord, I'm like, <laughs> How can I be? You know, I'm, I'm just bawling in the worship, you know, because it's just been a mess in the car park. No, I know it's never happened to any of you, but right. <laughs> and then she just gives this prophetic word and speaks, and, and, and it's like, how does she know what was going on? And God just spoke, gave me hope. You know, Rachel's wonderful now, by the way. You know, she's 31 now and getting married and a woman of God. But you see, we all experience it. And you know, We have to learn to bring the emotional allergies to the cross. That's the place where we have to bring them. What does that mean? That means releasing forgiveness to the person so we are free from them. You see, friends, unforgiveness is like drinking your own poison and expecting the other person to die. I remember I heard it when I was in a car listening to the tape, almost crashed the car. Whoa! Unforgiveness is like drinking your own poison expecting the other person to die. You were there, feeling I'm gonna tear that. All right, and, and the other person is living their life. It's a hard one, especially if you, your trust has been betrayed. This person you trust, they've betrayed you and they're off living their life and you're just left here on your own. Tough stuff. But see, unforgiveness unchecked releases tormentors into our lives. You think, what are we talking about tormentors? Matthew 18, 35. Jesus talks about the guy that had the big debt and he came to the, the king and the king let him off the big debt. And then the same man who had his friend had a small debt, he threw him in prison. And, and Jesus says to him, look, if you don't forgive each other, then I'm going to send the tormentors to you. What's a tormentors? Bitterness, rage, anger can lead to, to psychosomatic illnesses. When we fail to manage conflict in a godly way. Another thing that we 
need, we need to stop bearing false witness against a person. Because this is what happens, you see. I know when I get angry now with Eileen or something, I, if I'm in the car, I'm now saying, what is wrong with this woman? Why don't she understand? Have you ever seen people in the morning talking to themselves in the car? You think they're on their phone, they're not. Some of you, you, you sorted it all out. You've, you've made up the narrative about what you're going to say. You wait till I get home. I'm going to tell her. She needs to understand. I don't know. What's wrong with her? You know, you, you, you're full of all this stuff. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna batter them verbally. But you know what that is? That's bearing false witness against the person because they're not there. That's building up a negative story where we judge the person before they have a chance to explain why they said what they did. I know none of you have never done this. See, the next thing we need to do when we deal with God, we need to establish the facts, which means we need to speak with them face to face. Now, you see, we're in an interesting generation, aren't we? Okay, let me give you the scripture here. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother or sister, and actually means disciple, sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. Now, what I found pastorally is that people tend to bypass the first one. And they go to stage two. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse, listen tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, we are in the days of social media and email. And what I've noticed is that if people have something against each other, sometimes what they do is they send an email. And they BC it to someone else. Or even CC it to someone else. Or we use social media to deal with our conflicts. Friends, that's, Paul says, look, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renew of your mind that you may prove the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 12.1. Friends, we're not to do business that way. But you see, the challenge is this. Your level of emotional maturity will determine whether you can do it or not. You see, if you're an adolescent, if you're an adolescent or if you're a child or infant, or an infant, it's hard for you to go and see them face to face. Obviously, if they're dead, that's different. <laughs> so we hide behind media. Friends, this isn't the way to do it in the church. What that scripture Jesus is telling us is, if this is a disciple, this is someone's part of the family, you go see them. And sometimes people give such good reasons why they see you. Well, you're my friend. And I'm thinking, well, am I? <laughs> we don't see You go and speak to them. Now, your level of emotional maturity will determine whether you have the ability to go. And if you're an infant, or if you're a child, or if you're an adolescent, it's hard for you to go because you're afraid of being rejected. Alas, most people, because of a lack of emotional maturity, default to telling others before they tell the person because of a fear of being rejected or emotional allergies. 
The scriptural imperative is that we go to them in private, not by email or social media. So what do we need to do for this to work in our community? Three things, and I thank the wonderful Linda Hall for this, and she gave me, these were her kind of parting words to me as I stepped into the role. She said, be teachable, be humble, and have a hunger for God, and look for people who have the same three things. Teachable, open to having blind spots pointed out and ready to receive feedback that will help us grow. You see, people think that you know, if you're just a pastor of the church, that you, know, that you are God, 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 and no one tells you off. Look, let me tell you this, I, I choose to be teachable. Chris can come and say to me, and he does. Then you could have done that a little bit different. He doesn't do it all the time, but I'm open. I make myself open to it, and not just from Chris. It's a choice. And let me just tell you, if we, you, know, you may be the most gifted people, person on the planet, you may be the most anointed, but if you're not teachable, if you're not humble, and you're not hungry for God, we wouldn't consider you for leadership. All we would do is make trouble for ourselves, because the minute that you ha- we have to come to speak to you about something, you're like, hmm, don't you know I'm a pastor? Don't you know I'm anointed of God and appointed of God? You're speaking to me? No, it's a different film. <laughs> yeah, <All> right? <laughs> yeah. So we know we have a problem. But you see, friends, for this to work, we need to be teachable. We need to be humble, not thinking more highly of ourselves than is necessary. That's what Paul says, have sober judgment. I, and humility is actually agreeing with God how he sees us. And how he sees us is complete without spot or wrinkle. Nothing to do with creams or potions. He sees you as in your son Jesus, righteous, because of what Jesus has done. And he always sees the end from the beginning. So when God sees you, he always sees you as the finished work. So humility is agreeing with what God says about us not looking at our condition and saying that's how we are and we will not change. God's plan is to present you and I before his presence with exceeding joy without spot or wrinkle. That's his goal. We're in the process bit at the moment. Hungry for God. That's a passion to be all God wants us to be and more importantly, eager for intimacy with him. What do you mean by that, intimacy with him? Intimacy with him is where we we get into that place where our relationship is not based on performance or knowledge. See, I meet some Christians and they're into knowledge. So, you know, knowledge of the scriptures, they can quote this person, if it's Bruce, Bliss, blah, 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 and they have a, a great deal of head knowledge of the Bible. What I find is that when trials and tests come, that knowledge doesn't help them. Generally, they're a mess. They know the Bible, but it doesn't help them. You see, what we're talking about is you having a relationship with God where you know that you are loved, you spend time with him, you can learn to be, not just do. In other words, doing people, some people think that the only way they can relate to God is that they need to be active all the time. And when they have to sit still, they're like, 
says, look, whether you did nothing, whether you did something or nothing, God still loves you. And what about you sit down and enjoy my presence? Let me put it another way. Married life. Husband is all out running down, doing stuff, right? What is wife wanting? Quality time. As I said last week, and you all enjoyed it, you know, do you mind if I go and play football? It's up to you. You sure? If you must. God. God feels like that sometimes. You know, we're so busy doing stuff, and God's like, um, hello? Could we spend some time together? But, oh, Lord, I need to, in the name of Jesus, heal the sick. I need to, in the name of Jesus, be out on the, you know, refresh with it. I need to be doing all this stuff. Jesus says, yeah, that's good. But could you just come down and sit with me? Let's have some fellowship. Revelation 3, come in and eat with me and I with you. Let's, let's just chill. That's one of the things I'm learning in life. As much as I'm busy, I just love time to just be in his presence and sit still. Silence. No worship songs, just silence. Solitude. And I allow God to just love on me and me to just love on him and we have relationship together. And I know that God loves me, as I said, whether I perform well this morning or not. Oh, mercy, is that the time? Okay, so I need to get through this. <laughs> I'm enjoying this too much. So I think you get the point. Intimacy. So then, some points then. We need to take all our emotional allergies to the cross and not treat the other person in our relationship like someone from the past. We need to release people in forgiveness so that they will be free and we will be free. We need to stop bearing false witness against people. Stop making up a narrative about the person before you get the chance to talk with them. We need to establish the facts and speak with people face to face. That's a tough one for many of us. We need to learn to be teachable and humble and develop a hunger for intimacy with God. We need to keep short accounts with people. Look, friends, if you're, if you're upset with someone, say something. We don't because we're afraid that they won't receive us and all of that stuff. Go to them. But if you're humble and they're humble, you can work it out. We need to choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven us. So that's a decision, friends. Finally, three things and then we're out of here. We need to be, band, will you please come up? So how do we stay in relationship? Last point. We need to be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring wisdom and revelation that undoes the lies of the enemy and empowers us to walk in communion with God and with each other. We need to confess our sins to God and to each other. Walk in the light as he's in the light, because if we do that, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for another, James 5, 16, that you may be healed. That means you need to be vulnerable. We need to bring our feelings, good or bad, to God. And ask him to show us our emotional allergies and bring them to the cross so we can make confession of sin, receive forgiveness, grace, relief, and comfort. So that if we need to forgive others, maybe sometimes forgive ourselves and stand fast in the liberty for which Christ has set us free. And you know, finally, we need to find people to help us to walk through these conflicts. Safe people 
who will pray with us, admonish us, hold us accountable, and help us to walk in the light just as he is in the light. You know what that does, friends? It pierces shame. You see, God's plan is enough for you. Let's stand before the Lord. God's plan is for us to live together in unity. Satan's plan is to bring division into your life into your, and into this church. But as we, as the people of God, take courage, move through adolescence, infancy, and being a child, and step into being adults, and as we begin to stand before our God, knowing that in him there is no darkness, and as we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we make confession of our stuff. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. And we have fellowship with one another. And there's no opportunity for the enemy to bring a sword of division into this church or into our families. Because God, in the person of his son Jesus, came and forgave us all of our sins. And now, by the power of his spirit, he calls us to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. Amen.